Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. I'm back. It's been a while. Um, I've been working on a few things related to this podcast, and thank you all for your patience as I've been figuring out how to wrap up this section on the gold rush. And what I've decided after a lot of thought and consideration is that uh, there are still quite a few topics I'd like to cover, and so I'm, over the next couple months, I'm going to try my best to wrap it up, uh, but there will be a future topics on the gold rush uh, that will culminate in a final episode. It's just not yet. Uh, we have a few more topics that we need to cover before we wrap this whole conversation about this important moment in California history up. Today's episode is going to be related to artists of the gold rush, something that I've wanted to cover for some time now, and I'm excited to introduce you to some of the more famous artists of that time period. So let's get started. Today we're going to be looking at the visual artists working during the period of the gold rush. These artists, at least most of them, came to California expecting to make it big by mining gold, but instead utilized their artistic skills to paint the landscape and the people mining for it so the rest of the world could see. Each of their stories are unique, but underlying all of the narratives are common patterns that you'll see as we introduce ourselves to each of these different artists. First, let's look at the art of Thomas A. Errors. We don't have an exact birth date for Ayers, uh, but we know it was around 1816 in the New Jersey area. He moved with his family to Wisconsin as a young adult, which at this point was still a territory. Ayers was focused on landscape early in his art and worked as a draftsman, which lent to his artistic bent. During his early years, he worked in oils and watercolors, which bear out in his art later. Uh, but like many men during this time period, he headed west seeking riches and adventure. Arriving in California in the early years of the gold rush, Ayers went to the goldfields with certain expectations in mind, but was met with the harsh reality that we've described in previous episodes. The lack of easy money in gold mining led him to pursue other sources of income, which in the case of a draftsman with artistic proclivities was in drawing. He provides us with the artistic documentation of the gold rush. Ayers is famous for being one of the first uh, to tour and visit Yosemite Valley. Here's what he said about seeing El Capitan for the first time. Quote, As we proceeded onward, we were held in silent awe by the sublime proportions of El Capitan, or the chieftain of Yosemite, a cliff of granite lifting its awful forms on the left to the height of 3,100 feet, a sheer precipice jutting into the valley. Upon the opposite side of the valley, which here is only three-fourths of a mile in width, immense cliffs also occur, their serrated pinnacles piercing the very skies and forming with El Capitan the colossal gateway of the Merced. End quote. It's a beautiful description of something that if you have not seen before, uh, takes your breath away. And for those who entered that valley not knowing what to expect, you can imagine uh, the sense of awe that would have inspired. Uh, here's another description that he gave of Yosemite on his second trip to the valley. Quote, Upon another occasion, we rode down the valley some six miles, and crossing the picturesque ford where the Mariposa Trail enters the valley, ascended the mountain, reaching a point on the trail some 1,500 feet above the river. From here, the traveler obtains the most complete 
general view of the entire valley. To the right descends the cascade of the rainbow in all its beauty, giving life and expression to the scene, while the two domes bound the dim distance. All, all is as nature has made it, fresh and beautiful from the hand of the Creator. On the glorious fourth, we were treated to a salute from nature's artillery. The effect of a thunderstorm in the valley was such as words cannot describe. From crag to crag leaped the live thunder, not from one lone cloud, but every mountain had found a tongue. The time had passed like a dream, and it was with regret that we left the beautiful valley of Yohimiti, bound on an exploring trip to its headwaters far among the snow-clad peaks of the Sierra Nevada, of which more anon, end quote. An artistic colleague planned a magazine called Hutchings Illustrated California Magazine and had heirs sketch some of the most famous vistas in Yosemite. Hutchings Magazine would be one of the main drivers to make Yosemite into a destination in the West. We can probably trace the, that magazine to the act signed by Abraham Lincoln in 1864, um, ultimately leading to the park being protected as it is today. Ayers moved back east later, starting working with Harper's, the Harper's Brothers of the famous magazine of the same name, to complete a series of articles about California. Ayers was sadly killed when uh, a ship that he was taking from Southern California to San Francisco while working on some of these articles sank off Point Doom, killing everyone aboard, including our artist. I want to talk first about Ayers' art uh, as it relates to Yosemite Valley. Uh, the perspective in his art really helps the viewer to feel the size and scope of those granite walls in Yosemite Valley. The effect of using charcoal and pencils gives it kind of a first explorer perspective and allows the shapes of the faces to be the focus, not any color or mood that's set to the art, just the shapes of Yosemite. My favorite pieces uh, about Yosemite is probably his drawing of Yosemite Falls, which I encourage you to look up. Beyond his work on Yosemite, though, ours did beautiful work of the San Francisco Bay and many other elements of the Gold Rush, and he's where I would start if you're starting to explore some of the artists of the Gold Rush. Now let's talk about John Woodhouse Audubon. He is the son of the famous artist and was born in 1812. His home was built around art, even though his father was often on expeditions on his own. John used his time to explore the countryside and sketch various animals. He accompanied his family on a trip to Europe when he was 24, where he honed his crafts by copying some of the great master's artwork. In 1849, at the age of 37, he joined the California Company in an overland trip to California. The journey turned out to be a complete disaster. Robbers, illness, and death almost stopped the expedition in its tracks. Undeterred, though, Audubon took over leadership of the expedition and eventually made it to San Francisco, where he began to sketch what he saw in the gold fields. Sadly, these sketches would be lost when Audubon tried to have them shipped back east for safekeeping. The boat that they were on sunk. This is the second sinking ship that we've dealt with so far in this podcast. What we have left of his art was what was included in his journal. The next artist that we will meet is named Albertus del Orient Brawa, son of the famous John Henry Isaac Brawa, who did the famous sculpture of Thomas Jefferson as well as other famous early Americans. Brawa followed his father into art, but was much more interested in painting than sculpture. 
Early in his career, he gained a reputation for portrait and history painting, which was a popular form of painting early in the Republic. He exhibited his paintings with important groups and trended toward landscape painting because of the popularity of the Hudson River School. Like our previous artist, Brawa followed the stories west and sailed around Cape Horn in 1852. After working as a carriage painter for some time in San Francisco, Brawa headed toward the gold mines where he created paintings of landscape, genre scenes of the life in the mines, and portraits of pioneers. For the remainder of his life, Brow would go back and forth between the West and the Catskills. Here are a few paintings for you to look at to get a sense of his style and perspective. I would start with a painting entitled The Lone Prospector. The painting shows a prospector on a horse seemingly leaving a wooded area into an open space. There are massive mountains in the background, and the prospector is wearing a red shirt which contrasts with the rest of the tones in the painting. Another one to look at would be Gold Miners, which shows a group of prospectors sitting in a circle listening to an older prospector hold forth on some subject. In the background, you see a combination of virgin landscape as well as the latest technology in gold mining. The contrast between these two motifs highlights the key environmental themes of this time period. He was a prolific artist, and there are plenty more paintings for you to look at. An artist little known, but is one of my favorites, is Jean Henry Donnell, who came west in 1849 and started a successful career at Coloma. He was quickly elected as the first justice of the peace in his community. He needed to return east, but returned back to California in 1857 as an agent for a manufacturing company. One of my favorite pieces is his sketch he did with pencil of Sutter Mill. Its simplicity and beauty gives it an almost dreamlike feel. Another artist who did beautiful works of California during this period was Washington F. Friend. Friend was born in Washington, D.C. around 1820 and turned into a jack of many trades, including music, art, and business. He founded a music academy in Boston in 1846 and a floating museum on the Wabash River. Starting in 1849, Friend took a tour of North America, including the West and Canada. On his journey, Friend tried his best to sketch many of the places that he visited, including Colorado, Montana, Utah, and California. He exhibited many pieces in the United States as well as England. Friend also utilized his musical background with his art. He would often create musical scores that he attached to his pieces uh, to create a whole ambiance to looking at his art. He even exhibited some of his pieces for Queen Victoria. One of my favorite pieces of Friends was his watercolor on white paper called Placer Mining, which shows some prospectors in the foreground engage in placer mining, but the real focus of the piece is the waterfall in the center of the painting and the beautiful woods that surround it. We have also have artists that we know little about, but give us beautiful pictures of the period, including the French artist known as Godchow. We don't have very many pieces from Godchow, uh, the one that I focused on was a beautiful landscape picture he did of San Francisco in 1851 that shows San Francisco as a quasi-rural landscape, uh, sparsely populated uh, with, with a bay full of ships. It's a beautiful picture that's housed in the Oakland Museum of Art. Our next artist is William Smith Jewett who is another artist of this time period, but much more focused on the individuals of the gold rush and less on the landscape. Jewett was born in South Dover, New York in 1812, 
and studied at the National Academy of Design and became an associate there. Jewett came to California in 1849, not for art, but looking for success in the mines, like our other artists before him. When the business failed, he returned to art and started painting portraits of people who could pay, the wealthy business owners, politicians, and merchants. He quickly became known as one of the best portraitists on the West Coast. One of his more famous portraits from this period is called The Promised Land, a portrait of the Grayson family. The patriarch of that family, Andrew Jackson Grayson, was an expert on birds of the West as well as an artist himself. The portrait of the family set against a big sky background has Andrew standing in the center of the painting, leaning on his gun, while his wife and daughter are seated against a tree below him. While Jewett tended to focus on portraits, he also did many beautiful landscapes as well. And one of my favorites is his Yosemite Valley oil painting, which captures many of the beautiful granite walls of the valley in vivid color. Jewett would eventually return east, but bringing with him the daughter of one of the most important men in San Francisco, whom he married. Another portraitist was Samuel Stillman Osgood. Osgood was born in New England in 1808 and studied painting in Boston. At the age of 22, he completed a portrait of Davy Crockett, and in 1833, he married the poet Francis Sargent Locke. He made his move while he was actually completing her portrait. She ultimately had a successful life and children with Osgood, but the marriage didn't last, and the couple separated in 1843. Though they would reconcile three years later in 1846, uh, she having an apparent relationship with Edgar Allan Poe in the in-between. Uh, ultimately, she would pass away in 1849. Samuel would leave her behind before she passed away to try his luck at mining. Following the tired pattern of this podcast, he did not have success and resumed painting. One of his most famous portraits is of John Sutter, done with oils on canvas. This portrait is obviously a portrait of one of the most famous Americans on the West Coast and therefore would be engraved and distributed. He continued to paint prominent people on the West Coast and would develop a national reputation. Next time, we'll continue this two-part series on the artists of the gold rush. See you then.